Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Welcome to Truth Set Free, our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Q&A program. It is recorded live on Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. with Pastor Matt Lewis and Steve Winery. You can view the live program at our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. You can text your questions to 707-872-7677 or email them to crosswalkradio at gmail.com. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Truth Set Free. I'm Matt Lewis. This is Pastor Steve Winter, and coming to you live from Calvary Chapel, Tri-Cities. Uh, if you guys are uh, on Facebook or YouTube, you can email right behind me, crosswalkradio at gmail.com. Text 707-872-7677. There is an acronym if you want to memorize it, 70787-CROSS, and you guys can leave a voicemail uh, to that number as well. In fact, i just seen one come in. Um, for you guys that are local, I do have a couple things I want to tell you. So this Sunday is going to be the 24th, which is obviously Christmas Eve, and we're going to have one service at 10 a.m. in the Hapo Center. So that's the big complex over in Pasco off Road 68. And when I say one service, all kids, your whole family, everybody is going to be in there. And so no child care. Uh, there will be stuff that Greg's giving out and doing stuff, uh, but we're all in there at 10 a.m. And then that evening at 5.30, we're having an outdoor amphitheater service. It's one of my favorite that we do, uh, candlelight, big bonf- or, you know, candlelight service where you pass out candles and uh, sing big bonfires, and Steve's going to obviously preach with a, uh, it's going to be a different message than Sunday morning. And so dress warm, we have heaters and all that stuff, but bring your coats and sleeping bags and chairs, and that's a really awesome service. And then I wanted to tell you, uh, another thing, you can download our app and get all the stuff that's going on. Um, but one thing that just came out is the Prophecy Update. And so for this year, it's going to be January 17th, and that's a Wednesday night. And so at 6.30, um, Steve is just going to jump in and go. And so um, I've been here for a little while, and so there's one Prophecy Update that sometimes turns into two Mm -hmm. and so just play it by ear uh if there's a two-parter he'll let you know it just depends on his topic and how far he gets but that's going to be january 17th this year which is a wednesday night anything you got nope all right let's jump in to some questions this is going to be my first one for today and it says this how would you handle christmas presents for your family if your family is nuts I like it when my family is blessed, and it is a blessing for sure, but it can also be overwhelming and turn Christmas into something that I don't want my kids to get an attitude about. Um, you know what? Uh, let me, uh, in my house, my wife is nuts. <laughs> and so we've got a tree with presents just packed underneath it. 
and <laughs> I can't walk around yeah, the room. It's like it's ridiculous, and it's like that every year. Um, if I was doing this on my own, <laughs> I, let, I let my wife do what she wants. But um, we we have some rules during Christmas. My, so my wife goes crazy on the presents, uh, but we do have some rules, and the rules are. Um, each person opens a present. You do it one at a time. Everybody watches them open the present, and then you move to the next one. And so that that kind of um, cuts down on the everybody's going through ripping paper off of presents and throwing throwing presents so that, you know the open packages away to get to the next present and and that kind of stuff. That's how my house was when uh, when I was a kid. And so she does tone it tone it down that way. I've known some households, and I'm kind of I'm kind of this way. This is how I would do it. Jesus got three presents. You get three presents. Why would we get more than that? And so then they, you know, then they would be decent presents, and you wouldn't have a situation where kids have so many toys that they don't know what to do with them. Right. I can't tell you how many toys that we got our kids that just went up in a shelf someplace because there were so many. Yeah, so the box was more fun than whatever yeah. the, the toy is. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And a lot of times with our toys, especially when I was buying toys for our kids, uh, I, I tended to buy toys that were a little bit too old for their age. So Okay, so that's your wife. If you had like crazy grandparents and stuff and just doing the same thing your wife is, times two families plus your wife, would you try and stop or say anything about that? Or you just do the attitude heart check with your kids and leave it at that? I would probably do the attitude heart check thing. I might I might steal some of their presents and <laughs> <laughs> give them to them later or, or something like that. You know, you know it, it just depends on the situation. Sure. And obviously, none of this is biblical. Right. You know, it's like there's a heart behind it. But yeah, I don't want my kids to be materialistic. I don't like un- ungrateful kids. You know, and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I'd be watching out for the same thing. I did, I have watched out for the same thing. And so my kids tend not to be that. So. When you uh, wake up, do you do like a Christmas story scripture and start with that before you do presents? Oh, yeah. Do you have like a routine of that that you do? Yeah, that's a that's that's another thing that we do. We always do the Christmas story before we ever get into presents. Sure. And so we're all uh, sitting there and we pray together and, and then we go to opening presents. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. There you go. You're not the only one. Okay, my next one says this. Does Romans 11.19 say that Israel was broken off and the church was grafted in? So maybe you want to read that? <clears throat> yeah, let me get a little bit earlier. He says, if the first fruit is holy, this is verse 16, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God, on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Generally speaking, I, you, you don't want to take a metaphor too far. And what Paul is talking about is, is the fact that the nation of Israel um, has been rejected by God because of unbelief. And he's not talking about the whole nation of Israel. 
because obviously he's part of the nation of Israel. But he is talking about the nation as a whole. But you got to be careful with this because it talks about the fact it's not a branch that got broken off. It's branches that got broken off. And so at the same time that he's talking about a whole people, talking about the Jewish people, he's talking about individuals at the very same time. And part of the reason for an understanding that way is because of what's said in verse 21. If God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. And so there, there is no theology in which God ditches the church at all. And so there's no warning that the church of God could be separated from God uh, like there were warnings about the nation of Israel being separated, separated from God. And so, again, you know, there's a context here that's talking about the whole Jewish people, the Jewish people as a whole, basically. And it's talking about Gentiles as a whole, basically, also. But it gets individualistic in this, um, in this passage, too. And so, yeah, what happens with this whole thing is God uses the Gentiles to provoke the Jews. If you read a little bit earlier on, it says in verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And notice he's not saying the church, he's saying to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, and inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy some of those who are my flesh, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, talking about God going to the Gentiles, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And then it goes on to the passage that, that I just read. And so you're talking about God's purpose in going mainly to Gentiles after, after the rejection of the Jewish nation. And so, no, the church does not replace the Jews. It does not rep replace Israel. The Gentiles are the ones that God is going after. And the prophecy concerning the church is that the church would be mainly Gentile until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then God's going to go after the Jews again. So this is a nuanced passage. It in no way teaches uh, that God is done with the Jews. So You see Paul's attitude towards that too, because even though he was sent to the Gentiles, he always went into the synagogue first, mm -hmm. and he's still trying to reach those guys. It's just not the focus, and usually they rejected him, and so then he moves on to the right. Gentiles. But if that was the attitude, you think Paul would, would have the same, and he doesn't. Yeah. When you look at verse 26, he says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn ungodliness away from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then he says, concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. And that's uh, talking about the covenant to Abraham, and that God made a promise that the Jewish nation was going to be blessed by God, and that he was going to give, give them their full inheritance, and that they were going to be a blessing of the world. And then he says this, verse 29, for the gifts and calling and the calling of God are irrevocable. And that's in connection with the Jewish nation. So that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. All right. Here's my next one. And it's hard for me to put this up here without laughing. And it's a serious question. I just never heard this before. And you'll understand what I'm talking about. So this is a follow-up question. I can't remember what we were talking about uh, for it to be a follow-up. But he was this person was listening to somebody. And he said that the burning bush was supposedly an acacia bush that has 
DMT, or some hallucinogenic drug when burned, meaning that Moses would have been high or that he smoked the stuff and said he saw God. I obviously know that it's wrong to be high or drunk and all that stuff and that Moses wasn't high, but an actual burning bush that didn't burn up was how the Lord spoke to him. Just wanted your take on this. And so this is what I threw up here was Moses high when he was at the burning bush. (laughs) And I don't know how else to say it. (laughs) You know, um, Okay, first off, you got you already answered the question yourself. The bush was not burning. And so it's a burning bush that didn't burn. And that's a, uh, most likely what was happening was it was surrounded by the glory of God. And, and so if it's not being consumed, then it's not burning away. If it's not burning away, it's not releasing any toxins from the, from the plant itself. And uh, Matt sent this to me, and so I did a little study on this. You know, I, I did a little looking things up, and the bush that is most likely the burning bush is an acacia, and it's called the Acacia totilis. And this is uh, an article dealing with DMT being in the leaves of Acacia tortillus, and it says, published reports of DMT in the leaf derived from a misreading of a paper that found no DMT in leaves of this species. And so there's no DMT in it at all, so it doesn't really matter. It's just just a burning bush, so there you go. Takes care of that. Yeah, takes care of that. The guy's reading reports that are inaccurate. (laughs) So there you go. All right, internet myth dispelled. Okay, next one. Is it possible for the rapture to occur before the third temple is completed? Yes. You know, when, a, when you're talking about the rapture of the church, the, the rapture of the church takes place. You got this, this whole timeline out of the Old Testament, and it's in the book of Daniel. And so it has to do with the history. It's a, the prophetic history of the nation of Israel from the time of Daniel, actually a little bit later than Daniel, up until the, the time... Uh, that Messiah comes, okay? And so it's called um, the 70-week prophecy. And let me, let me get back there real quick. Um, so if you, if you got your Bible, it's in the book of Daniel, and it's in Daniel chapter 9. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to try to shorten this up, but basically 70-week prophecy begins at the uh, command to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem along with the walls. And we know that this took place in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. We also know that that 20th year, well, I'm, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but there's good reason to believe that it's 445 BC. And that's temple two, number two. That's temple number two. And it says from, from that decree, that there are 77s, literally, 77s that are decreed for the people of Israel. And the, the number seven is the word for weak uh, in the Bible, okay, uh, in, in the Hebrew there. And so you're either, so it's translated my, in my version, 70 weeks are determined, right? And so it's 77s of something. So 77s of days, that, that would be a normal week. The Jews also had 77 or uh, sevens of years, which is the context in this passage. Daniel has been looking at a prophecy about uh, the 70-year uh, deportation of the people of Israel. And that, that, uh, and that was a, a number 
uh, it was a number of sevens. It was for, because they had not kept uh, the, the seventh year Sabbath. They had Sabbaths of days. They had Sabbaths of years. And I'm trying to make the short version. But anyway, when you go through and you, you uh, take 77s of years and um, you look at how the Bible uses years specifically in prophetic passages, uh, years in prophetic passages are 360-day years. And so you go 449 years, and uh, you multiply that by 360, you get 180,000, you know, you get a bunch of days. <laughs> <laughs> when you're looking, it's 173,880 days, basically. And so when you, when you go through and you, and you do all the numbers on this, as it goes through, it says that in verse 26, after 62 sevens or 62 weeks, Messiah, well, in, in verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, rebuild and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And that's actually where you get the 173,880 days. That's the... Uh, it's 69 years total. It says the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And then it says after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And so the way this prophecy is divvied up is you've got 69 weeks divided into seven weeks of years and then 62 weeks of years. That's the total of 69, 173,880 days. And that goes to the coming of the Messiah. And then it says, after that period of time, and that comes out to about 32 AD, after that period of time, Messiah, three things are going to happen. Messiah is going to be cut off. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then there's going to be the desolations of Israel. Okay, those three things are going to take place after that 69 period of sevens, or 173,880 days. Okay, the problem with that whole thing is that put that leaves one week after that, and that one week of years does not have enough time to fulfill those three things. So that seven-year period cannot include the death of Jesus, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the desolation of the nation of Israel. It can't include the death of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem because those are basically 38 years apart. And so you only have seven left over. Then you get to verse 27, and it says, Then he shall con confirm a covenant with many for one week. And there you have the last seven years. And so what that lets you know is that verse 26 has a parenthesis in it. There's 69 weeks of years that come from decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem till the coming of Messiah the Prince. And then after that 69 weeks of years, there are three events that take place. The death of Jesus, the destruction of the temple, which took place 38 years later, and then the desolation of the nation, which took, it was going on for 1,900 years after that point. And so you have at least a 1,900-year uh, pause in between the 69th week and the, seventh, the 70th week. And the 70th week is what we call the tribulation period. And that is spoken about in verse 27. So this is where you get the idea that God has put the nation of Israel on pause for a period of time to reach out to the Gentile 
uh, to the Gentile world, and that God is going to restart, basically, Israeli history as far as his dealing with the nation of Israel for the last seven years, which we call the tribulation period. It says in verse 27, all, all this to get to your question, uh, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And you got to figure out who the he is. And what you do is you go to what's the nearest antecedent. And there are two of them in verse 26. And it says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. That's one guy that the he can be talking about in verse 27. And then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the other guy that this he can be talking about. And you have to go to the nearest one. And so the he that's being spoken about in verse 27 is the prince of the people who are going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary were the Romans. And so this is a Roman prince. This is where you get the idea that the Antichrist is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire, along with some other passages. And so somebody from the revived Roman Empire is going to make a covenant literally with the many, talking about the people of Israel, for one week. But in the middle of the week, he brings an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. That's the de abomination of desolation even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And so in the middle of that last seven-year period, you have the defiling of the Jewish temple. And so what this looks like is that this covenant has something to do with the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. And so I would place the rebuilding of the Jewish temple within the seven-year tribulation period, and it looks like the Antichrist is instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple because he makes a covenant with the Jewish people. Looks like that covenant has to do with this. And he defiles that covenant in the middle of the seven-year period that he promised for that covenant. And he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. And so that, when you go through the rest of the verses, uh, the Bible's clear that the church is not here when the Antichrist arises. And so the Antichrist would have to arise after that and then when he does arise, looks like he makes a covenant with the people of Israel, and that includes temple worship, and then he defiles that temple and breaks that covenant midway through the last seven-year period. So that puts the rapture of the church before the tribulation period, before the coming of the Antichrist, and also before the building of the temple. There you go. Clear as mud. Okay, so on that, in verse 27, mm -hmm. when he says it puts an end to sacrifice and offering, that means the temple has to be there. Exactly. So at that point, the temple is there. Exactly. The question is, how long has it been there? And the covenant, going from book of Revelation and other passages, is probably a peace deal that World War III kicked off. And that's the start of the first half of the tribu tribulation. Exactly. Is that peace deal. Yeah. And so the temple may be there, but it doesn't have to be there. And that point is when the Antichrist could be the project leader on that. That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions for Pastor Steve, email us at crosswalkradio at gmail.com or send us a text at 707-872-7677. God bless.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.